Hello and welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? This week, we're wrapping up our journey through Connery-era Bond with a true abomination of a film. About the only good thing we can say about it is that Sean Connery at least tries in this performance. We only wish the rest of the people who made this movie could say the same. Enjoy our review of 1971's Diamonds Are Forever. Hey everybody, this is David, a.k.a. Macintosh. And I'm Diana, a.k.a. Mod. And welcome again to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we haven't seen before. This week we are wrapping up our James Bond series, which... Oh, I'm kind of glad because this is not a good movie. I'm happy to be done with Bond for now. For now. But I'm sad that we are ending on a bummer. A diamond smuggling investigation leads James Bond to Las Vegas, where he uncovers an evil plot involving a rich business tycoon in 1971's Diamonds Are Forever. This movie is pointless. So we ended Sean Connery with You Only Live Twice. Right. And then we get George Lazenby. And then we decide to go back to Sean Connery. And this is what we do with him. Well, they were aiming for the moon on this one. Right now, I think this movie is worse than Dr. No. But we'll have to see if you change your mind. Okay, we'll, we'll enter into our Bond therapy once again. The budget. $7.2 million. So slightly more than the last film. Box office, $116 million. It's the Sean with, Connery, that's it. That's the only reason why this happened. With Sean Connery in there, you're guaranteed triple-digit million box office returns. Sure. The writing. Richard Maybaum, back at it again. The producers were attempting to recreate the success of Goldfinger with this movie. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they thought that was possible with this turd. Well, so let's think about it for a moment, though. If you if you think through the elements, they're all done very badly. <laughs> <laughs> True. But if you are looking at the elements that are there, this is sort of a campy, heightened reimagining of the Goldfinger story. A, a little. Okay, so we have Blowfield again. Right. But his face is different. Which there's no explanation for. No, but we see a bunch of, like, masks. Because then there's another dude who's dressed like Blowfield. Because he's cloning people. Yeah. So there's that. And then he's got the voice changing machine. All of that is cool. And is great for a villain. And it's cool for Blowfield. And I'm fine with, like, let's change who Blowfield. Like, that's fine. When I, whatever. Blowfield can be a Time Lord, too, like James Bond. But then we've got the two weirdos. Mr. Wint and Mr. Wint Kid. And Kid. They serve no purpose. No. What those two characters should have been was, like, two guys who know that James Bond and this chick are going after diamonds. They're trying to move diamonds. And their whole thing is they're trying to, like snatch it from them so they get the diamonds and then the two goons get the diamonds from bond like that's their whole plan then them existing would have made sense well that is their entire purpose in this movie is they're the goons undercutting the whole diamond trade and stealing out from under everybody yeah i you don't understand that at all they're just two weirdos they also chew every bit of scenery they possibly can which in a kind of almost impressive way to me but we'll get to that when we get to casting 
It's just bad. So do you want to know what the original concept of this was? Yes, please. It was a revenge sequel. They were going to bring back Irma Bunt and Draco, the construction guy, and Blofeld. Okay. And it was going to be a straight revenge story. For killing Tracy. Then Lazenby left the production. Okay. And the fucking producers Uh both thought it wouldn't work without Lazenby there and decided they were not impressed with the script. Not enough action, not enough glam, not enough things going on. This is when the producers took over this franchise and started to drive it into the dirt. This is all salty broccoli. From now on, it's their Wilted salty broccoli. Right? So a revenge story makes 100% sense. I mean, the name of the movie... Is Diamonds Are Forever. After his second true love gets murdered... So, okay. By his worst enemy. There's a way to keep that with Sean Connery and not have it be directly about Tracy. If we're going to be smart. And I like to think of the James Bond name and 007 being assigned to an agent that is not who they are. That's what they should have done. They would have been like, hey, other 007, he he was able to get blow. Like, he finished his thing and he only lived twice. Like, he already did the I'm dead. He retired. Then we got this new James Bond. And his wife got murdered by this super bad guy. And that pulled old James Bond out of retirement to go get revenge on behalf of newer James Bond. Sure, why not? As as well as, this is the guy that got away from me before I retired, so I want to get him. Oh, please, I want to read that script. Yes! That's a way to have, like... To get all of those feelings, acknowledge the fact that you had another guy for a movie, you still get to have those jokes. I mean, I love that joke. It was like, um, we do still operate when you're not here. <laughs> like, that's hilarious. And then, again, it's a wonderful wink and a nod to the audience well, with, without dissing Lazenby, just being like, yeah, we still operate. Like, this is still going to happen. We still function in your absence, absence bond. bond. Yeah, you could still have all of that. Okay, except that they do the revenge story in the first seven minutes of the movie as they just, hey, here's all this random action shit and he's killed Blofeld. Okay, let's start the movie now. And then it went down the rabbit hole further. Oh, God. Originally, the villain was going to be Art Goldfinger's twin. You know. Then. Watch enough soap operas to be okay with that. Then Cubby Broccoli had a dream. Oh, God. About his good friend Howard Hughes being replaced by an imposter. Okay, I'm cool with that. Thus, the character Willard White was created. They just don't use Willard White at all. This whole movie, I have no idea what's going on. If it was 1971, you probably would have had enough social cues to know what was happening. Between a rich tycoon who owns a bunch of hotels in Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. hasn't left his place for five years. This is the story of Howard Hughes in his late life. So in 1971, it makes sense. Okay, but still, like this whole time I'm watching this movie, I have no idea what's happening. I'm so confused. Because it's so... It was built on a fucking dream by the producer. And then, (laughs) in the process of writing the script, they didn't feel Maybaum had the right voice to do American Gangsters. So they brought in a writer named Tom Mankiewicz, who wrote this random, obscure stage musical that dealt with British stuff. That was bad. The American gangsters were the worst part of this movie. Because Maybaum has always done well. Yes. He's had some not fabulous, but he does good. All we have to do is look at You Only Live Twice 
to yeah. know the value of having Richard Maybaum on in these early movies. Now, I'm cool with bringing in another writer to help with, like, we need to Americanize this a little bit. We need some punch up. We uh, need some American punch up. Except that these are the dumbest that's a horrible, mafia villains. You picked a horrible person. I've ever seen in my life. Like, that's horrible. But we maybe shouldn't be too harsh on him because we're going to have to deal with him when we get to Roger Moore. He wrote Live and Let Die and The Man with the Golden Gun. Okay, well, maybe he did a better job. I don't know. I haven't seen any of those, so I don't know. It, the script's just so bad. Even if this is going to take place in America, it should feel like a James Bond British film. Why aren't we visiting the American agency? Like, why aren't we spending more time with Felix Leiter? Well, because of Howard Hughes in Las Vegas. Still, it's just bad. Oh, and bad, bad, bad. Well, let's say this. We already had an American Bond movie and we did it pretty damn well. We did because it was still about Bond. Correct. The target was American. The villain was German or Austrian. I don't remember. I don't know. It doesn't matter. He was was European. But like, ugh. All right. Directing. They wanted those good, good Goldfinger vibes. So guess who they hired? Guy Hamilton. Do you have words? <laughs> okay, Sean Connery is fine. Because Sean Connery knows what he's supposed to be doing. And he's actually trying in this movie. I He does not feel as tired as he did in You Only Live Twice. No, he he's not like top-notch Bond, but mm-hmm. he, he he's at least giving a performance. Correct. Which is different than what we had to deal with the Correct. last time. I don't feel that way from anybody else in this entire movie, with the exception of Q and M, because they're amazing people. And uh, it's just... <laughs> that What direction? Like, what? Where was it? I didn't see any. I don't know. He seems like lightning in a bottle, dude. Like, he had all the right things come together during Goldfinger, and yeah. it just worked. And they were trying to do the same thing with this. I can only imagine, based on his sort of stiff Britishness, that ultimately it came down to it was just a giant fucking circus and he did the best he fucking could with it. It's Can I say this in its favor? The first, I don't know, two thirds of this movie is pretty watchable. I would probably go with maybe the first half. Maybe. But even then, I'm still kind of like, well, it's dumb, but it felt like the right kind of dumb for a while. Mm, Maybe. Like, it's weird and dumb, and there's some random characters, but I was like, okay, I can I can dig this vibe, especially from watching Roger Moore. And so, I was expecting it to keep going in that direction, and then it just fell the fuck apart. And I think there's some reasons for that, but I can't talk about it until we get to that point in our discussion. Let's talk casting. Oh, look, there's Sean Connery. But it's more interesting to hear about who could have been better... Tons of people are thought of for this role before Sean Connery. Okay. I mean, can you blame them? No. They probably thought they'd never get him back again for a movie. First, John Gavin, who you would really only know as the male supporting lead in Psycho. Eh. So the guy who shows up at the hotel to try to help everybody. So no. Also played Julius Caesar in Spartacus, and he was Reagan's ambassador to Mexico later on. All right. Uh, American. Okay. I think he turned it down. Adam West and Burt Reynolds were approached at this time. Nope. This is early on in Burt Reynolds' career and would have been a good choice if he were British. But Maybe. 
they both rightfully turned it down because mm-hmm. they weren't British. Michael Gambon was approached. Ooh. But at the time he said, I'm in terrible shape. Accurate. Still true. Pretty sure he was super drunk. Probably. This is during But his... that could have been interesting. Oh, he would be a great M. Finally, United Artists went to them and said, you're getting Sean Connery and we don't care how much it fucking costs, <laughs> but we're saving this franchise from utter death. <laughs> they just looked Broccoli and Saltzman in the face and went, I don't care what the fuck you have to do. You save this shit now. That's awesome. Sean Connery accepted for the price of 1.25 million pounds. That's a fuck ton of money. United Artists backing any two films he wanted. Okay. Which led to Sidney Lumet, who was a friend of his, Mm -hmm. doing a movie called The Offense. Okay. Which I guess is, if I remember correctly, is about a police officer investigating a child molester and beating the guy up during interrogation. And then the fallout from that. Okay. So, looks like a really interesting 70s movie. One of those random off-the-radar ones. Yeah. And then an all-Scottish Macbeth. Oh, yeah. That got shelved for the Roman Polanski version that came out the same year. Well, ew. But, okay. Uh, But that was a big deal Macbeth production. No, no, I get that. And they couldn't fight against it. Uh, It's also a pretty sweet deal he got himself. I will also say Roman Polanski Macbeth that was funded by Playboy. Yeah, it's, also, ew. It's real gross. Problematic uh, for numerous reasons. Although apparently a really good version of Macbeth. So, I don't know. Sean Connery took his fee and established the Scottish International Education Trust. Aww. Which allowed Scottish artists to get funding without having to leave their home country. Yeah. Aww. Sean Connery gives a shit about the arts. He does, and of his home country. Told you to put a pin in this when we saw him and You Only Live Twice. Mr. Charles Gray, who showed up very, very briefly in that film, is playing Blofeld in this movie. It's just stupid. Blofeld should always be a big name actor. I don't know why they went for a character actor guy. With hair! And why did they go with somebody who we've seen before? I mean, he's not recognizable between the movies. He's really not. It's just funny. But but at the same time, it's just like you made such a big fucking deal about making sure we got Sean Connery back. Why would you not get new people for all the other shit? I just put question marks in my notes on it. Yeah, it makes no sense. It's a really dumb casting. And he's, I mean, he's fine, but. He's not great. He's not what Blofeld should be. And here's the thing. It's not his fault. He's written horribly. So it's not the actor's fault. But here's the thing. If Telly Savalas were there, it probably still would have been good. It would have been better. Yeah. Jimmy Dean as Howard Hughes lookalike, Willard White. Whatever. Oh, it's Jimmy Dean being his Jimmy Dean self. I don't have enough, like, background on Jimmy Dean other than his sausage, so... I mean, he's from around here. What would he freaking do? Which makes sense, because Howard Hughes is from Texas, too, so... Yeah. The one fun note, he was worried about doing any pastiche of Howard Hughes. He didn't want to just overdo it. Yeah. Because he had a running gig at the Desert Inn, oh. which Howard Hughes owned. Yeah, that's fair. Don't want to <laughs> don't want to get caught making fun of your boss. Yeah, a little that's bit. Fair. That's fair. So he, uh, he tried to tone that down just a tiny bit. But it's also weird because Howard Hughes was like in his 50s or 60s at this point. Probably should have been a slightly older dude. Yeah, weird. Jill St. John as Tiffany Case. 
Okay, I love her name. Tiffany Case is great. She is widely regarded as one of the worst Bond girls. She is one of the worst Bond girls. She's there because she has a very pretty body. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that's why a lot of Bond girls are there. Yeah, but some of them can actually act. Well, and this time we got a lot more Bond body ladies. Well, yeah, it's the 70s. I know, we get to see. There was some nipples seen. Let me throw out these names and see if you think anybody could have been better. Okay. Raquel Welch. Yes. Jane Fonda. Yes. Faye Dunaway. Eh, I think she's overrated. Raquel Welch would have been the best of that group. I don't know. Jane Fonda would have, could have been an American Diana Rigg, Spitfire type Bond girl. <sighs> Jane Fonda would have been good, but I think she would have been good in the other role. Well, St. John was offered plenty of tool, but yeah. she landed the league after... The Vegas location officer mm-hmm. recommended her. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think the Plenty of Tool would have been been good for Jane Fonda, and Raquel Welch should have played Tiffany Case. Anyway. That could have been cool. Uh, like, I want to see, I would have liked to see those two against each other. Jill St. John does get the accolade of first American Bond girl. So, good for her. What be freaking do? You can be right up there with Denise Richards. It's horrible. <laughs> Lana Wood as Plenty O'Toole. This is Natalie Wood's younger sister. Okay. By like eight years or something. Her fate and similar to Natalie's actual fate. Oh yeah, they drown in a pool. Hmm. Well, no, Natalie drowned in a oh. harbor, but oh, yeah. still. Potato, potato. Mr. Kid. Now, the only reason I'm going to mention Mr. Kid and Mr. Went is they are played by interesting people in their own rights. Yeah, okay. Mr. Kid is played by a gentleman named Putter Smith. Okay. Putter Smith is a very famous jazz bassist. He <laughs> played with, like, fucking tons of people, including Thelonious Monk. Wow. Who he was, oh, he was playing with the cream of the crop and doing session work for like the Beach Boys. So he was hot like shit. That. Yeah, he was a damn okay. good bassist. He was playing with Thelonious Monk at an LA jazz club when Guy Hamilton saw him and decided that he should be Mr. Kid. I'm okay with that. Given the size of the role, and it's it was his cool look. for it, it to be this random dude. It was all his look. Yeah. It was the, oh, that's cool. it was the that's floppy fine. hair, the round glasses. He was just like, he had a look that worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. I guess Guy Hamilton thought that was going to be fine. It, I mean. This is the guy who found odd jobs. So who knows, right? I mean, he did nothing wrong. I, I mean, he's fine. It is not his fault that his character sucks. <laughs> okay. I did really like it when his arms caught on fire. That was funny. Oh, the flaming shish kebab? Yeah. yeah those that's pretty funny. good. Those are funny. And then a man who I'm honestly kind of impressed at his performance in this film. Mm-hmm. Bruce Glover as Mr. Wint. And why would we know who Bruce Glover is? Oh, that's because that is Crispin Glover's father. Fuck. Crispin Glover is a weird motherfucker. His dad's a weirder motherfucker. Do we know that for a fact? Because they both look creepy as fuck. He's talked about his dad. Oh, what's wrong with his dad? Just, they're weird. Yes. Now, I will say this, is they have the same, they have the same predisposition. His dad was is probably just i give him the edge on weirdness only because he was dealing with all these character actors through the 60s 70s 80s and 90s bruce glover is still alive and performing in films weird but was around 
like that last age of old Hollywood in the studio okay. system. So he knows even weirder motherfuckers than these two. I mean, I like him with Potter Smith. Them, them as a team is great. Here is what I admire about him. It's what I admire about Crispin Glover mm-hmm. is that they latch on to a character mm-hmm. and commit 9,000%. True. And Very I love so. it. It's why I'm like, this writing is terrible. They but were he, wasted. They were wasted. It would almost have been better if they had been the real villains. But this whole time in the movie, we think that they're just these bumbling buffoons. Oh, yeah. But they're like, Logan Lucky, they could have been the hillbilly heist guys. Well, they should have been like Blofeld's right hand men. This henchmen that we don't know are their actual henchmen. Exactly. That would have been cool. And then probably Blofeld kills them and not. They should be part of Spectre and not just these two buffoons. But what I will say is he performs as admirably as possible in service of the character. True. No, I mean, those guys, they're fine as the actors. They're just wasted and their characters were written poorly. Yeah. So, like, there's no point for them to exist. You could remove all of them and it would not change the movie at all. Exactly. Gadgets. Because we actually get some this time. We did get some gadgets. Uh, We've got the cloning facility. That's pretty cool. With the surgical tools involved in the fight. Mm -hmm. We've got the biometric fingerprint scanner. That Tiffany Case has in her apartment. That was really cool because we what's what I liked about seeing that now is that we've seen how that same technology we've pushed further, like the pretend technology. There's also like some real world technology involved in that. Yeah. But it's really cool to see like how it was imagined in 71. And the fake fingerprint. Yeah, the fake fingerprint. That uh, Bond has. Yeah, that's cool. The pocket snap trap. So the little mouse trap oh, yeah. in his pocket I that he's got. I forgot about that one. Guy uh, snaps re- his hand off. That's really low tech but effective gadget. Oh yeah, I like that. The mountaineering pistol and grappling suspenders. <laughs> those are ridiculous. Those are very Maxwell smart, <laughs> like in my opinion. They are, but here's the problem: is they show up again later. Ah, fuck. We're gonna have to keep an eye out for them. Yeah. Okay. The electromagnetic RPM controller that Q uses to win jackpots at the slot machines. Okay, I did see this where that actor said that that was the one gadget he wished was real. I love that Q is cheating at slot machines. But only because he wants to test the gadget. Sure. He doesn't care about... He's not grabbing any of the money. I bet he's going to leave it there. Because he's just like, I want to make sure it works. And then people can just get some money. I don't give a fuck. It's just funny. All the voice changing crap. That's cool. I guess. If Willard White was a more interesting character, then it would have been good. We didn't have a car. Well, we do. Mm-hmm. It's Tiffany Case's car, though. Yeah, it's the Mustang. It's the Ford Mustang. Which, that's some good product placement for an American car company. The water sphere that Bond walks on water with to the oil rig. Oh, yeah. That they drop out of the helicopter. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. That scene was supposed to be a lot better than it was. Oh, I thought that was the whole movie. <laughs> La bombe surprise. <laughs> La bombe surprise. <laughs> no, that's not really a gadget. And finally, Blofeld's mini sub, which is turned into a wrecking ball by James Bond. Okay, I do like the mini sub. I don't know. I think my favorite is, I mean, I really love the fingerprint stuff, but I think my favorite is the finger trap. I'm going with the RPM controller. <laughs> It's just such a good moment. I just like, it's a great moment of the film. I just like how the finger trap is low tech, but effective. Yep. And I like those kind of gadgets because when you see those, you can think, oh, that could exist in like real life. Like a, a person could actually use that. Well, so could an electromagnetic True, RPM but, controller. But, but no, 
All right, music, ladies and gentlemen, Shirley Bassey is back. Diamonds are forever. Hold one up and then caress it. Touch it, stroke it, and undress it. I can see every part, nothing hides in the heart. Man, they were trying to recreate that magic from Goldfinger. They did an okay job. This song's still good. It is a good song. It funky breaks down halfway through and gets real bassy. It's not anything extra special, though. This is this is uh, what we've come to know as a standard Bond scene. John Barry revealed his instructions later to Shirley Bassey while she was singing. Imagine you are singing about a penis. Huh? Let me, uh, let me reread some of these lyrics to you. In the proper context. Oh, okay. So now that I'm thinking about penis. Diamonds are forever. They are all I need to please me. They can stimulate and tease me. They won't leave in the night. I no fear they might desert me. Diamonds are forever. Hold one up and then caress it. Touch it. Stroke it. And undress it. I can see every part. Nothing hides in the heart to hurt me. Diamonds are forever sparkling around my little finger. Unlike men, the diamonds linger. Men are mere mortals who are not worth going to your grave for. Okay, like now it's like you're verbally assaulting me. Right? (laughs) Uh, Because now I'm thinking about diamond penises. (laughs) And I need to find the uh, sex toy of that now. (laughs) Just for my own edification. The lyrics are very suggestive. Oh, they're not <laughs> suggestive at all. Oh man, and 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 caught up with the dime. Ugh, this is this is a bad song now. Of the sparkling diamonds, yeah. Oh no, it's bad. It's bad. Because uh, now there's all the connotations of like diamonds. Women get diamonds when they get married. So now you have to say, oh, oh boy, gross, ew. Uh, trivia. Trivia. All of the filming in Las Vegas were at hotels owned by Howard Hughes, because who doesn't Albert Broccoli Jr. know? For fuck's sake, Howard Hughes? Alright, whatever. Who apparently owned half of Las Vegas at this point. That's cool. Hughes used his clout to get the police to shut down all the streets so they could do all the car chases and shit like that. Oh, that's cool. That's the only way they got those streets shut down. That's nice. They knew the man who could do it all. Just like Willard White did in the movie. (gasps) Oh my god! The cinematographers didn't need any other lighting for Las Vegas because the neon was so bright. Mm -hmm. I believe that. Sean Connery... Enjoyed himself in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm, because he was single. Quote, I didn't get any sleep at all. We shot every night. I caught all the shows and played golf all day. On the weekend, I collapsed. Boy, did I collapse. Like a skull with legs. Yeah, he had just gotten, like, divorced. Uh-huh. So he, he was single and ready to mingle. He played slot machines and once delayed a scene because he was collecting his winnings. While shooting in Las Vegas, Connery dated Lana Wood. Didn't he also date 
Jill St. John? Not according to my research, but I wouldn't be shocked. Okay, I want I, I... I bet he slept with every woman who was available and willing on set. My understanding is that those two women hated each other because he was dating both of them. <laughs> Which is like, let's be clear, that's a very James Bond move. I'm not shocked at all. Yeah. The moon car, which is the <laughs> dumbest fucking out thing of I've nowhere. ever seen. It's ridiculous. It makes sense in context of Howard Hughes was interested in aviation, and aeronautics, and so the moon car being there, which is fine. And originally, it was modeled off the actual moon vehicle. Mm-hmm. And then the producers decided that wasn't outrageous enough. So they put fucking robot arms on it and lifted it up like 10 feet off the ground. Yeah. No. Robbie the robot arms is flailing around as he's driving through the fucking Robbie desert. Robbie the robot arms. No, that's bad. This is when I realized the producers fucked this movie. Oh, okay. They ruined this movie. This, this has almost nothing to do with the writing in the sense that had they just let Richard Maybaum write a script, would have been a fine story. But they didn't do that. They kept interfering and saying, it's not big enough. It's not glitzy enough. They're, they were too scared after Lazenby. They were freaked out. Well, except apparently people loved it. So I don't know. Well, people are just fucking stupid. People will pay money for, you know, somebody pooping on a brick wall, I guess. I don't know. We have seen all the jackasses in theaters. Oh, it's so fun. So there's that. But, <laughs> but those are funny. This is not. No, it's really not. <laughs> The car chase in Vegas used an arrangement with Ford Mm -hmm. to have all the vehicles crashing. Their only demand was that they they show the Mach 1, the Mach 1 Mustang, which is Tiffany Case's car. But by showing that off, they could crash however many fucking Fords they wanted to. Yep, that's pretty standard uh, car contract for movies. And when he ramps over the cars, Uh they had already crashed like two or three different cars doing it. Uh Stunt drivers couldn't do it. So they put in a call. To the guy who did the high-speed chase on the streets of San Francisco in Bullet, Bill Hickman. Bill Hickman drove for hours to get to that set, Mm -hmm. saw the ramp, lined it up, did it in one take. Walked off the set, got his money. I hope it was a big pile. That's what stuntmen fucking do. Stuntmen are so underappreciated, especially when they're really good stunt drivers. All the people who do that shit are amazing. The finale. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where I also get into, oh, this movie could have ended way better. Mm-hmm. The actual finale sequence is kind of impressive. Frogmen were supposed to jump from helicopters into the water and attach mines to the legs of the oil rig. Blofeld would escape and Bond would chase him, hanging from the weather balloon. They would continue across a salt mine, scrambling over hills of salt and Blofeld would die in a salt granulator. The salt mine wouldn't let him do it. So they rewrote the whole fucking thing to make that travesty of a finale. This movie sucks. When I tell you everything this movie could have been, aren't you just like, really? They could have done that instead? Because not only did that finale that I just explained make logical sense, but it was also really fucking exciting. This makes Dr. No look like a masterpiece. Also, those explosives that went on the oil rig, they just barely got that on film. The explosives went off early, and they were lucky that they had the cameras rolling to capture it. Nobody on this set was fucking prepared for shit. I don't know what happened. This movie sucks. Oh, man. It's a bummer, too. They ruined it. Sean Connery went away, and so they 
have this new production and they're like, oh no, it didn't go the way we wanted it. Let's try it. Let's put it back. Let's put it back. And you just can't do that. It just didn't work. So I don't know. How many electronic RPM controllers do you give this movie? Well, you had seen this before, so you have to rate it first. I, and see, I think I've seen it before. I remember, I definitely remember parts of this movie, Mm -hmm. unlike a lot of the other ones. I'm going to give it one. Just the more we talk about it, I want to give it more than that just because of some of the redeeming values. But then by the end of it, it's just not good. I'm giving it half a star. Wow. It It is worse than RoboCop. (laughs) <laughs> it is worse like at the end of robocop i could still find some redeeming qualities and like this it's getting like a half point for potter smith and and bruce glover because i like them this is just bad okay let's remember some fond times as we wrap up james bond okay of the seven films we watched which one was your favorite goldfinger okay still gonna be my favorite it's still gonna be the top notch cream mm-hmm. of the crop and the original What's interesting is we rated on Her Majesty's Secret Service higher. True. And I I rated it the same, but you had it higher. I still would hold that Goldfinger paves the way for every Bond forward, has such a great impact, and has really memorable moments that just Mm -hmm. stick out. Unlike on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I think is just as good a movie, but for different reasons. Yeah. And I don't think it has the longevity that Goldfinger does. Hmm. In fact, if I could revise upward now, mm-hmm. I probably would for Goldfinger. Okay. What about you? I'm torn between Her Majesty's Secret Service and From Russia with Love. You like the plot. You like the plot James Bond stories more than you like the big splashy set piece James Bond pieces. I love an action film. I, I love all of that stuff, but they blur. Uh-huh. And they don't know if there's not a plot to support all of that. <coughs> Thunderball. <coughs> yeah, sure. Then uh, it, it just doesn't last with me and it's not as compelling. Thunderball will always be like Star Trek V. Is that the one with the whales? <laughs> like That's just what it's going to be. It's not. Star but, Trek Four is the one with the whales. Star Trek Five is the final frontier. Nerd alert. <laughs> Hello. I don't even think I've seen all of Star Trek. Uh, uh, damn, I, we're going to have to do that now. Fuck. I haven't, but I haven't seen the one that everybody says you're supposed to see. So that's the but, fun part of that. Anyways, I'm torn between those two. I think, I think I'm going to go with From Russia With Love just for the longevity. It holds up. From Russia With Love is a template for later Bond movies. Yes. Specifically some of the more dramatic movies. Not not that Secret Service isn't also, but for plot and character development, Russia With Love. It'll be interesting to see how uh, my feelings about this change when we visit the Roger Moore ones in the future. <laughs> no, just... Uh, how, what I think about those and then how my feelings about these ones have changed in comparison and just having sat with them for a while. Oh, and we have to watch Timothy Dalton as well, because those are completely different movies, too. Well, we're going to end up doing them all. I know. But, you know, between Roger Moore and then they go completely in a different direction with Timothy Dalton and then they kind of rein it into a this direction that you know and loved from Pierce Brosnan. Every Bond has put their own imprint on these movies and so it's a little what you should do it's its own little weird thing Hmm. but next time we're gonna start on a completely new and different series so we're gonna have to do our podcast in a different way because we're gonna take on 
documentaries. Yeah, we've always we we've been documentary buffs for a while. We love a good documentary. Absolutely. But as is uh, the premise of the show, there are some that we haven't seen. Exactly. Uh, uh, you've got some gaps. I've got some gaps, so we're going to fill in some of those. And our first film up in that series is Errol Morris's game-changing, wonderful true crime documentary, The Thin Blue Line. I haven't seen it. Had any desire to see it? And do you know anything about it? I know nothing. Don't don't tell me anything else, because we're going to address that when we do our podcast. Absolutely not. It's a great film. I highly recommend, if you've never watched it, just spend the two hours and do it. It's worth it. All right. And a programming note, uh, Macintosh and Mod, we're taking a break. Yes. We are taking the next two weeks off to do some site maintenance and some, some prep work, and to also spend a little bit of time with our two little apple pies. But our show will be back on Monday. July 2nd with the Thin Blue Line. All right, we went and saw Ocean's 8 this week. Debbie Ocean gathers an all-female crew to attempt an impossible heist at New York City's yearly Met Gala. It was fun. It was, I, enjo- I mean, I enjoyed it. Perfect cast. Cast is great. I enjoy the cast a lot. The heist is great. I like the idea of the heist. Eh. I don't... There's just stuff in here that I I don't want to spoil it. They did some things that felt like, yeah, because this is a girl movie, we have to do that, that I didn't like, and I thought there was a way they... They, they had a character that was male that they should have made a female, and it would have worked better. I mean, uh, I don't even think it's that. My biggest problem with this movie is that it has none of the crispness and tautness that the other Oceans movies have. I don't agree with that at all. It didn't feel that way. It felt very loose and not as fast-paced and entertaining. I think some of the reveal should have come later. Like some of the stuff that we don't realize that's going on, like that's going on in a lot of the other Oceans movies, like, oh, we have to put on this big show, and then they tell us after the fact what was really going on. We got some of that... But not a lot. There should have been some more of that. It doesn't help that I feel like the actors were mumbling their way through the movie a little bit, and I couldn't understand half of what was going on with Kate Blanchett. I really couldn't. I couldn't understand her. I know that that's something that happens in Ocean's Eleven, and I've gotten used to probably watching it with subtitles, mm-hmm. so maybe that's my problem there. But I really did have a hard time kind of understanding the jokes in between the plot setups. And it felt kind of low energy. I don't know why. I, 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 It's not the cast that bothers me. I actually really like all of them. I feel like it's the directing that I have a problem with. The only person where I don't like them and I don't like how they were directed was Anne Hathaway's character. Really? Because I actually really liked that. Uh, okay. Anne Hathaway is playing a very self-absorbed actress, which Anne Hathaway as a person is not. Exactly. Uh, so this was... F- that that's a fun thing for an actress to get to do. Exactly. It's... Uh, and she's good, but it is way too over the top. It is too much. Yeah. So I, I thought that was poorly directed. I loved Rihanna. Rihanna was great in this. She was fun. She was a little underutilized, but what she did was great. <laughs> I mean, everyone, everyone is good in this. I like this character for Sandra Bullock. 
you know, the ex-con. It's, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good role for her. I don't want to take away from the actresses because I mm-hmm. think they're all doing a really good job in the movie. Mm-hmm. There's something about the style of it. And this is something I was worried about was that without Soderbergh, that it was going to lose some of the style that it had. And it felt that way to me. And, and not because it was anybody's fault, but just because the people they had doing it were trying to copy that more than just making their own movie. Well, there. this movie is a part of a franchise, so it has to do some of the stuff that we liked about the original. True. My thing is, is that each of the Oceans movies, mm-hmm. the first movie is a very American 70s heist movie. The second one is a European style heist mm-hmm. movie. and Which the third, most people hate. But I really like that one specifically because of that style, because I got where he was mm-hmm. going with it. And then 13, which I didn't like as much, is kind of more of an 80s darker gritty vibe. Yeah, it's a revenge. It's a revenge heist. So I just, what I wished is that they would have gotten a new idea and a flavor to take with it. And I felt like they and just see, didn't do that. That's where I feel like if I, I think if the male character had been a woman it would have been better possibly i think that would have made it less uh standard female trope but i feel like most of the reviews particularly the ones from men are that it's not oceans 11 it's a cheap knockoff with all women and i want to be very careful not to say that because i don't feel that way at all i don't think it's a cheap knockoff i don't think this movie is perfect I think it could have used a little more punch up. I didn't get as much humor as I enjoyed from the other portion of the franchise. Yeah, that's I, part of it for me too. I feel like you want to know who they should have brought in sooner in the movie? Who? James Corden. Yes. His character is a wonderful little button. He should have been in more of the movie. Exactly. That whole thing should have happened sooner. But it's a fun movie. I will, I'm going to watch it a bunch later again when it comes out on, you know, whatever streaming service. I'll watch it over and over again like I did the other ones. It's fun. And, you know, the fashion and the costumes are cool too. <laughs> and they're pretty. It's the Met Gala. So that's fun. I do think I'll come to appreciate it more over time. Mm-hmm. And wholeheartedly, maybe it's just because I had a hard time understanding what they were saying. And maybe with subtitles, I'll catch more jokes and like it the second mm-hmm. time around. So I don't know. There's there's something about it that caught me off guard, and I don't know why. On the other hand, go see it. Buy your popcorn, because it is worth just the fun movie watching It's a experience. very enjoyable film. Exactly. I'll agree with that. Mm-hmm. All right. Until next time. Bye, guys. That's it for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. And for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com. The Vegas filming at hotels. It's not picking up on the mic. It's distracting me. I'm just going to release it as is. I just don't fucking care anymore. <laughs> we can do this. We can finish this. Okay. I can't stop laughing now. It's your fault.